begin by praying. Loving Father, you are light, and in your light we see light. Please shine brightly by your Spirit in our hearts, so that we might see. Amen. Uh, Lord, if you are sporty, do you know the secret to winning in any sport? The violence. No. Cheating. No. Just be better. No, that doesn't work, actually, quite often. Win. You just win. The secret to winning is will. It's will. There he is. The secret to winning is will. You've got to want it more than the other team. You've got to want it. Yes, we all know this. Uh, This is Lamar Jackson. He's a quarterback for the Ravens. After they lost, he said, it looked like that team wanted it more than us. This is Theo Walker after Crystal Palace beat Arsenal 3-0. Theo said, they just wanted it more. You could tell. This is Aitor Karanka after Birmingham lost to Wickham. They showed more desire than us. I think they wanted to win the game more than us. This is Jimmy Butler after the Heat played the Clippers. He said, they wanted it more than we did. There it is. The secret to winning in any sport is will. At least... um, Men's team sport. <laughs> I don't know if women didn't come up on my Google search because for me you don't cover women's sport or because women don't say such dumb things. Because <laughs> it is a dumb thing to suggest that a bunch of professional basketballers just didn't really want to win. Like they didn't have the willpower to shoot straight. Um, <laughs> it's not how it works. But then again, okay, all right. Then again, maybe, maybe really wanting something is actually going to get you to win something. Willpower won the Indianapolis 500, most prestigious sport in motor racing. Willpower. This is Will Power. <laughs> he won the 2018. It's from Toowoomba. That is his name. He's not even a William. He's a Will. <laughs> Maybe willpower is actually going to get you places. Willpower just had more drive than the rest of them. Maybe maybe the the biggest celebration of the will from the last century is uh, Frank Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way. Do you know this song? Um, I lived the life I wanted, the way I wanted, what I willed I did. Here's what he sings. He sings... I've lived a life that's full, I travelled each and every highway, and more, much more, I did it, I did it my way. Whose will was the strongest in Frank's life? Frank's will was the strongest. His will succeeded. He has formed himself out of his own desires. He's made himself. When we make decisions, we exercise our own will. We do what we want. Doesn't that sound good? I want to do what I want. What does Bart Simpson say? Bart Simpson says, I do what I want when I want. And uh, this is the story that our culture tells us. Our culture tells us that our wills are free, that we can uh, choose our own path to happiness, that authentic self-expression is the best kind of self-expression. And it's a compelling story that we have all bought into. This is what we all believe. We want to do what we want. I wonder how often we even think about the decisions that we make 
day to day? How many of our decisions do we just think are good and valid because they are expressions of our own will, our own authentic selves? I bought a coffee machine, didn't really think about it, but it was authentic self-expression. And so I bought it. I just wanted it. And I didn't really stop to consider what God wanted. What does God want us to do? What is God's will? A lot of the time, we don't even seem to care. A lot of the decisions that we make, and we make something like 35,000 decisions per day, a lot of the decisions that we make are made without reference to God at all. Little decisions and big decisions. So how do you make good decisions when our default mode of thinking is not to think with reference to God at all, when our default mode of thinking is to seek our own will? How do you make decisions well? How do you seek God's will? Well, actually, is seeking God's will a good thing to do at all? So, okay, how does God's will help us make decisions? Here it is in a sentence. God guides all things by his sovereign will. God guides all things by his sovereign will. Guides our behaviour by his moral will. Guides our behaviour by his moral will. And asks us to submit our human will to his will. He asks us to submit our human will to his will. It's a longer sentence. I'll give it to you again. God guides all things by his sovereign will, guides our behaviour by his moral will, and asks us to submit our human will to his will. It's a big, long sentence, and we're going to unpack it as we go through. So point two, God's sovereign will. Now we're going to put down our anchor in the Sermon of the Mount tonight. Sermon of the Mount is Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us to pray that God's will would be done. Uh, uh, that's how Jesus teaches us to pray. Come back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And we'll pick it up in verse 9. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. Jesus says, Therefore you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, here's my translation, your name be honoured as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Your will be done. Uh, the expression um, God's will, we think of God's will in a couple of different ways. There's God's sovereign will, that's this point. The next point is God's moral will. And the point after that is God's specific or God's individual will. And so we'll step through these different aspects of thinking about the one will of God. We're starting in God's sovereign will. And to ask that God's sovereign will be done is to ask the king to do what kings do. It's to ask the king to do what he wants. Everything happens says, this is author Tim Chester, everything happens because God decides that it should happen. Everything that happens, happens because God decides that it should happen. Everything that happens. Nothing happens outside God's sovereign will. 
Now, why should we pray that this will should be done? Why does Jesus teach us to pray this way? Firstly, because it's the will of our Father. Our Father, those are the first two words. God is a good Father, and he cares for us, and his sovereign will is good for us. Secondly, it's the will of our Father in heaven. Our Father is in heaven from his vantage point in the heavens. He can see all things. He knows all things. I think that's the will that I want to happen, the one who knows all things. Thirdly, it's the will of our Father in heaven who rules a kingdom. That's verse 10, isn't it? Your kingdom come. Um, We've already seen this in seminar two, haven't we? That God is the ruler. And as ruler, he has the power to enact his decrees. He has the power to get done what he wants to do. Kings and queens can get stuff done, can't they? I mean, if they don't have a parliament to stop them, kings and queens can do what they want. God's will is... Good, it is powerful, it is irresistible. May it be done. Good, so what is God's sovereign will? What does God want to happen? Well, firstly, everything that happens is God's sovereign will. Uh, Was it God's sovereign will that Greater Sydney went into COVID lockdown? Well, yes, it was. How do we know it was? Well, because it happened. Everything that happens is God's sovereign will. If it happened, it must have been God's sovereign will that it happened. Secondly, God's sovereign will is to bring us home to glory in Christ. I remember back to a Monday afternoon. This is God's sovereign will. He wants to bring us home to glory in Christ. And, uh, well, that is something that we can only know by the scriptures, only if he tells us that that is his will. We can't work that out ourselves. Thirdly, it's God's sovereign will to accomplish this goal, bringing us home to glory in Christ through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how God wanted to do it. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us to pray that the Father's will would be done. And in Matthew 26, Jesus prays that his Father's will would be done. So come to Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26. Jesus prays just as he taught us to pray. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place, the disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, So couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. 
Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near, the time for his own death. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go see my betrayer. He is near. God's sovereign will was that Jesus might be betrayed, to be handed over to the authorities, to be wrongly convicted, tortured, executed, publicly, shamefully, brutally. That is God's sovereign will. We know this from Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 27. Uh, Here is what the disciples say. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentile and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand, God, and your will had predestined to take place. The cross is not plan B for God. It is plan A. Nothing was going to stop it. Nothing is ever going to stop God's sovereign will being carried out. God is guiding you home to glory in Christ and there's nothing you can do about it. Now let me just say one thing here about God's sovereign will and suffering. Because it's been brought up by Jesus, hasn't it? Everything that happens is God's sovereign will and suffering happens. And so that it seems like, logically, God must cause suffering. The word cause, the word cause, is actually a word that philosophers have been arguing about since Seno was a boy. So it's really a difficult word to get your head around. But here's what the psalmist says of God. You are good and you do good. God isn't evil. He does not do evil. Yet suffering happens. And I think that's enough to say at at this point that whatever suffering does happen, it doesn't happen outside of God's control. Because nothing happens outside of God's control. God is not like an overwhelmed substitute teacher with a class going bonkers. (laughs) Nothing is outside of God's control, not even when you suffer. God is in control as Jesus suffers, isn't he? And uh, this is a great comfort because even in suffering, you know that God is leading you home to glory in Christ. So pray that his will might be done. When you have a decision to make, here's a question to ask. Does um, Does my decision align with God's sovereign will? Does my decision align with God's sovereign will? God uh, has given pretty strong guidance here. There's no point trying to fight against God's sovereign will. This is the book of Acts as well. The Pharisee Gamaliel gives some pretty good guidance to those who want to kill the apostles. He's already says in Acts chapter 5. He says, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. What God wants to happen will happen. And I think this is a great comfort as well because it means that when you make a bad decision, what God wants to happen will still happen. When you make a bad decision, God is still leading you home to glory in Christ. God guides all things by his sovereign will. Um, But then why do you think it is that it seems like so much of what God would want to happen doesn't happen? 
Here's where we come to God's moral will. Point three, God's moral will. God's moral will is what he wants us to do. God's moral will, we're talking about what God wants us to do, his desires for us and our ethics and our guidance. If you want guidance, here it is. Here is your guidance. Now, God's sovereign will, that is so often a mystery to us until we can look back on it or until God explains it to us. God's sovereign will is, is pretty mysterious. I don't know why Sydney is in lockdown. But God's moral will, that's not a mystery. God has spoken that to us in the scriptures. He tells us what he wants us to do. Well, he tells us in many ways, right? Firstly, God tells us what he wants us to do in his law. Moses has his big um, stone tablets. That's what God wants us to do. God's, God's moral will is that you not murder your neighbour. God's moral will is that you not lie, cheat, or steal. God's moral will is that you not plagiarise your assessments. But it's not just about what you're not to do. Um, God's moral will is that you be virtuous, to be a certain kind of person in this world. God's moral will guides us, not just by telling us what to do and what not to do, but, but who to be, what kind of people to be. It's God's moral will, yes, that you not murder your neighbour, but it's also God's moral will that you love your neighbour. Just before Jesus teaches us how to pray in Matthew 5, he even says, love your enemies. This is um, the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4. He says, hashtag, love one another. If you want to know how to follow God's moral will as expressed in the Old Testament, you need to hashtag love one another. That's what God's moral will is. We're in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 22. Come to Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Matthew 22, verse 37. The question of Jesus is, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Verse 37, Jesus says, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. This is God's guidance for you. Love your God, love your neighbour, and what follows from that is you will even love your enemies. Now, okay, it's true to say, um, we're talking about the Old Testament law, it's true to say that Christians don't follow the Old Testament law. Isn't that right? Uh, so what's going on there? Are we deliberately disobeying God's moral will? That would be a problem. We don't want to be doing that. Right, okay, Christians in the Old Testament law. Now, Steve has just preached through Leviticus at uh, Uni Church in Wagga. So I'm going to get a roving mic. I'm going to ask the Wagga students, what's the deal with Christians in the Old Testament law? Yes? Yes? I'm getting some dirty looks from the Wagga students. <laughs> okay, right, right. I'll get you off the hook this time. Very quickly. I'll expand on this in question time if you want me to. But we're talking about the Old Testament law and the Christian life. Uh, so come back to the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, verse 17. <clears throat> Matthew 5, verse 17. Jesus says, Don't think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfil. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, 
Not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. It's clear, isn't it, that Jesus does not set aside the law. The law is still important. Instead, and this is from biblical scholar R.T. France, instead, he, Jesus, brings into being everything the law pointed to. Everything the law pointed to, Jesus brings into being. I think that's what it means to complete or to fulfil the law. Jesus completes what the law started. What is the law about? It's about loving God and loving your neighbour. So Jesus brings to completion love. God's moral will is that you love him and others, and Jesus shows us perfectly how to do this. That's the Old Testament law and the Christian life. If you want to know more, ask again in question time. But we'll come now to the second way that God tells us what his moral will is, the Old Testament law. But there's also direct statements in the New Testament. The will of God is, fill in the blank. There are a couple of them. We'll look through them. This doesn't exhaust the moral will of God. But hey, if something says, is said explicitly in the scriptures, you'd be a fool not to read it. So let's do that. So firstly, what does God want? God wants everyone to be saved. 2 Peter chapter 3. Come to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter, if you want to know where 2 Peter is, it's after 1 Peter. Chapter 3, verse 9. It's about here. It's about here. There it is. Good. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God does not delight when people do not come to Jesus and so perish. God does delight when people do repent, come to Jesus, and so have life. Uh, God wants everyone to be saved. I think this is God's moral will, not his sovereign will. It is his moral will that you turn to Jesus. God wants everyone to be saved. Secondly, God wants you to be joyfully thankful. Come back to the left, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Skip across Hebrews. Come through 1 and 2 Timothy. There's Colossians, too far. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 16, 17 and 18. 1 Thessalonians 5. If you want to know where 1 Thessalonians is, it's before 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 5, verse 16. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Sounds easy, doesn't it? Actually, no, it doesn't, does it? It sounds, it sounds impossible. In fact, if you, if you suffer from anxiety or from depression, it sounds impossible. But God is not telling you that he wants you to be happy all the time. He's telling you that when you feel like he has turned away from you, what he actually wants is for you to pray to him. That's what he actually wants. God is saying when it feels like he is pouring out darkness upon you, what he actually wants is for you to be able to be thankful. He is not malicious. When Satan tempts you to despair, what he actually wants is for you to be able to rejoice. This is hard for you now to be joyfully thankful and to pray constantly. Well, please don't hear this as 
God's condemning, judgmental word on you. You are not doing what I want you to do. Oh no, please hear this as God's gracious word to you that cuts through the lies that depression and anxiety tell you about God. He wants you to be joyfully thankful even when it doesn't feel like he does. That's what God wants for you, to, be, to rejoice with thanksgiving. Thirdly, God wants you to do good. God wants you to do good. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter, if you want to know where that is, it's before 2 Peter. Chapter 2. Come back to the right, back across Hebrews. We're about here in my Bible. Excellent. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. It's not just to do good, is it? It's to silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. It's talking about don't let anyone accuse you of wrongdoing by doing wrong. Do good. Um, He's talking particularly about how the world perceives Christians. Thirdly, God wants you to do good. So fourthly, and this is a bit similar, God wants you to be holy. Look, I'm taking you back again to 1 Thessalonians. I don't know why I did that. (laughs) Just to give you some practice. 1 Thessalonians, if you want to know where that is, it's before 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 3. So I wanted to do that because doing good and being holy are very similar to each other, aren't they? And this is what God wants you to be. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 3. For this is God's will, your sanctification, your holiness, that you keep away from sexual immorality that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honour, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. Sanctification is holiness. To be sanctified is to be made holy. And here your holiness is uh, expressed in self-control around sex. It is God's moral will that you not look at porn. It is God's moral will that you not sleep with someone you're not married to. It is... And remembering we're still anchored in the Sermon on the Mount, it's God's moral will that you not lust after someone. How's that for guidance? But in the Sermon on the Mount, that's not the only way God's moral will is expressed by Jesus, is it? Don't be angry. Speak the truth. Be generous. This This is Jesus commentating on the Old Testament law. God wants you to be holy. If you pursue holiness, a lot of guidance just kind of falls into place. Decisions become much easier when you pursue holiness. This is theologian Sinclair Ferguson. He says, very often when young people say they are having problems about guidance, what they are really faced with is a problem about obedience. Don't know why he says young people, old people too. (laughs) But are you one of those young people? God has said it. Will you do it? So when you have a decision to make, here's a question to ask. Does my decision align with God's moral will? Does my decision align with God's moral will? Has God told me to do something in the scriptures directly? Oh, well then do it. Has God commanded something? Well then do it. God guides us home to glory in Christ by revealing his moral will in the scriptures. God's sovereign will, God's moral will. Now we come to point four, God's specific will. 
Goody, 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 because let's be honest, this is what you've been hanging out for, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, God wants me to be holy. Yeah, yeah, no lust. Not bad. But who should I marry? That's what I want to know. How do I know if she is the right one for me? How do I know if he is Mr. Right? I, I know that Lucy is the right woman for me. I know that God wanted me to marry her, uh, which is good because I don't want to miss out on God's specific will for my life. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if you were an ag student, but really God wanted you to be studying vet? Could you imagine if you were an ag student and really God wanted you to be studying nursing? You could be missing out. You could be knee-deep in animal poo when instead you should be elbow-deep in human poo. Oh. This is what we're talking about when we are talking about God's specific or individual will for, for our lives. But this is not the way the Bible talks about God's will. This is not the way the Bible talks about God's will. There is no perfect plan that God has specifically for your life that you can miss. That's not how it works. It's not like Loki. Have you seen this show, Loki? The premise is that you have this predetermined timeline uh, and you're meant to follow it, but sometimes people miss their timeline, they get off their timeline. That's bad and you have to be um, taken care of. God's will is not like the will of the Time Lords. You cannot miss God's will for your life. Do you remember that he is sovereign? Do you remember that everything he wants to happen will happen? Do you know how I knew that Lucy was the woman God wanted me to marry? Because I married her. <laughs> because she came in the church with a white dress, she gave me a ring, she said, I will. And that was when I knew that God wanted me to marry her. Because I married her. So I must have wanted me to marry her. Everything that happens, happens because of God's sovereign will. Is your decision-making hamstrung by a deep fear that you're going to miss God's specific will for your life? No, God's will is to bring you home to glory in Christ by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You can't miss that. You can't miss that. But if God's will is sovereign and everything happens because God wants it to happen, then in what sense is my will free? Or at point five, my will. Point four? Point five, my will. Um, how is my will free? Got news for you? Free will is a lie. You do not have free will. I learned that from Loki. There is a timeline, and everything is predetermined, and you cannot get off that timeline. You must follow it. You have no self-determination. Actually, no, that's science fiction. No, I actually learned it from science. Yes, who loves science? Hands up. We all love science. Science tells you that there is no free will. Sorry. Your brain is moving, and it is forming decisions before you even consciously choose something. Uh, this is a quote from an article in The Atlantic magazine by philosopher Stephen Cave. He says, The contemporary scientific image of human behaviour is one of neurons firing, causing other neurons to fire, causing our thoughts and deeds in an unbroken chain that stretches back to our birth and beyond. In principle, we are therefore completely predictable. 
If we could understand any individual's brain architecture and chemistry well enough, we could, in theory, predict that individual's response to any given stimulus with 100% accuracy. Free will isn't real. You are a slave to biology and chemistry. And uh, this is bad, this has moral consequences, because here's what he says next. When people stop believing they are free agents, they stop seeing themselves as blameworthy for their actions. No free will means I'm not to blame when I do something. I'm sorry I stole your car, but that was predetermined. It's not up to me. It's not my fault. And oh dear, I guess that means we're wasting our time this week, doesn't it? Because if everything is predetermined, you don't need any guidance for anything because you are 100% predictable. And I know exactly what you're going to do in any given scenario. So are we just wasting our week? A bit late to tell you now. We're not wasting our week, don't worry. Because to be quite frank with you, I don't care about science. I care even less about Marvel. So. (laughs) So, do you know what I care about? I care about the scriptures. So let's turn to the scriptures for guidance. I'm going to take you through every time the scriptures talk about our free will. Are you ready? Get your Bibles out. Okay, ready? And we're done. (laughs) The Bible doesn't talk about free will as it pertains to us at all. At all. Search for free will and you won't find it. We do have freedom. We have freedom. Romans 8 says that God has set us free, but he hasn't set our wills free. We have been set free from bondage to sin and death. We have been freed from condemnation. We are truly free, but our wills are still curved inwards on ourselves. Our desires are still constrained by our human nature and our sinfulness. The choices we make are bent towards sin. What does Romans chapter 3 say? There is no one who does good. Not even one. We have no ability to not sin. We do and we will sin because our wills are not free from the power of sin. The only thing that frees us from the power of sin, it's not our wills, but it's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who frees us from the power of sin and we look forward to, with him, being transformed into glory, sin-free, One day. Our wills are not free. So is this philosopher Stephen Cave right? Does that mean that I can't be held responsible for any of my decisions? Uh, No, that's not what the Bible says. (laughs) The Bible does tell us that we are responsible agents. You do have responsibility. And look, I think this is a much better category than free will. Um, Human responsibility. Because I think that the scriptures are clear that we are responsible for our actions, for our choices. In fact, this is why we need guidance, isn't it? Because we do have genuine choices to make. Even though God's sovereign will determines everything that happens, it happens how he wants it to happen. It's very tricky, isn't it? Here's how theologian J.I. Packer puts it. He says, A person is a responsible moral agent, though they are also divinely controlled. A person is divinely controlled, though they are also a responsible moral agent. How does that sit with you? You are a responsible moral agent. 
So you need to take responsibility for your decisions. You can't blame God. Alright, so when you have a decision to make, when there's no command from God expressing his moral will, here's what you need to do, you need to make a decision. You have a responsibility to choose. Can I choose whatever I want then? Your own will and your own desires, your own wants, they have to come into decision-making somehow, don't they? Lucy and I moved to Wagga because um, there was an opportunity, because we thought it aligned with God's sovereign will, because there were no specific commands about Wagga Wagga in the Bible, <laughs> and because we wanted to. We drive a Subaru Outback because we had the opportunity, because we didn't think it didn't align with God's sovereign will. There were no specific commands regarding Subaru Outbacks in the Bible that we could find, and we wanted to. Choose something. Exercise your will. But do it like Jesus does. So here is point six. Are you ready to know what point six is? Not my will, but your will. Point six, not my will, but your will. And let me give you your third guidance principle. I have to go back a page to find the spot to write down your guidance principle. Here is your third guidance principle. Obey God when he tells you to do something. Your third guidance principle is obey God when he tells you to do something. Obey God when he tells you to do something. You have responsibility to exercise your will, yes, but you exercise your will under the sovereign rule of God. When you want God to guide you, when you want God to guide you, do you want him to guide you according to your will or according to his will? Do you actually seek God's will? Or are we content to make decisions that just express my own will? There's a good quote from the author Jen Pollock-Michelle. She says, Our ethic is not autonomous freedom, but obedient love. Our ethic as Christians is not autonomous freedom, but obedient love. Friends, let me point you to the example of Jesus. Matthew 26. Come back here to the Garden of Gethsemane with me. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, verse 39. Matthew 26, 39, here's what Jesus prays, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is authentically expressing his will here, isn't he? He doesn't want to die. That is his um, authentically expressing his human will. Uh, Jesus is fully human and he fully doesn't want to die. But he's also fully God. And so he shares the one divine will with the Father and the Son, and the one divine will, you will remember, wanted the cross. Uh, that divine will is the cross. Jesus has authentically expressed his, his human will, authentically expressed his divine will, ah, but he does go to the cross, doesn't he? The divine will is the will that wins out. God's will is the will that wins out over human will, and that is how it should be with us. Friends, isn't that authentic self-expression from children of a loving father? 
Isn't that authentic self-expression? Not my will, but your will. Obey God when he tells you to do something. Even if you don't want to, (laughs) which is hard, right? So here is my tip for obeying God. Pray the Lord's Prayer. As Jesus teaches you to pray in Matthew chapter 6, pray the Lord's Prayer because in it you're asking the God of the universe that his will might be done. And when you pray for things, they just might happen. So, well, let's together out loud pray as our Saviour Christ has taught us to pray. Here it is. Say it together out loud to finish. I'm trying to get out of the way. Together, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy to the only God our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.